in one of your recent talks, you said that Krishna isn't the best deity to experience compassion. Could you elaborate on that? How Krishna is not the best deity for compassion. Radharani is better. She's said to be the compassionate nature of Krishna. Hmm? And uh, by extension, the implication is that the devotees, what makes one a devotee is that they become imbued with the this, with this Rup Shakti that Radharani presides over. Hmm? She presides over the entirety in one sense of the Rup Shakti because as Krishna's Swayam Bhagavan or the source of all forms of the Godhead, she's the Swayam Shakti, so the source of all Shakti. That's in a general sense that within the context of the Rup Shakti itself, it's constituted of Samvit, Sandini, Samvit, Ladini, existence, knowing, and, and bliss. Um, she personifies the Ladini. Um, so at any rate, she is Bhakti Devi. Hmm? And so the ingress of Bhakti into our lives means the ingress of Radha's influence into our lives. That what, what makes us a devotee, so to speak. And um, and and the devotees are considered to be the uh, Kripa Shakti, Bhagavan Shri Krishna. Kripa means mercy, so they're the power of his mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess if we take it back, then Radharani is, is the compassionate side of Krishna. Krishna is lost in love for Radha is the idea. And he, as, as when we say Krishna, we're speaking of Swayam Bhagavan, Krishna in Vrindavan, standing next to Radha. Not in that Krishna in Mathura, or Krishna in Dwaraka, or Krishna in some yogi's heart. Those are other, uh, less perfect, perfect but less perfect manifestations of divinity, corresponding with, with different types of love. <clears throat> so the full expression of the Godhead, Svayam Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, is absorbed in in pursuing Radha's love for himself, what it's like, and and um, so on and so forth. So the idea is that Jiva Goswami has explained he has no uh, proximity to the suffering of others, no experience of it. Hmm. And so when you have experience of someone else's suffering, it's easier to be empathetic, sympathetic, and compassionate towards them. And so it's by comparison, then, that we say that the devotees, they are more readily uh, compassionate, more suitably um, suitable uh, vehicles, vessels for the expression of compassion for the conditioned souls, because for the most part um, we have sadhana siddhas, devotees who are who are were once in the world, and by their sadhana they become perfect, and uh, so they have some greater proximity to the suffering of the world. Hmm? They have some some remembrance of what it what it, what, it, what, it, what it was like, so they're more readily able to be uh, empathetic. Hmm. Uh, of course, this is all 
This is Krishna's shakti, it's his kripa shakti, so you can't say Krishna's not compassionate, but to sort that all out, it's the which manifestation, if you will, of Krishna, of the Godhead, is more, um, better suited, better equipped for being a, a um, uh, expressing compassionate love than we say, oh, by comparison, the devotees. And then if we go up the scale on it, we come to Radha, she's the best devotee. She's the deity and the ideal of devotion. And she's said to be the compassionate nature of Krishna. So you can see how it extends down. Um, otherwise, again, to use another example, the Mahavishnu form of Krishna, the form of Krishna which Krishna uh, manifests the, the mundane world and so forth, is closer to the suffering of others. In fact, the jivas, the jivatmas of this world are manifest from him. If he, one, desires to become many, just because, for example, it's said in the Shruti, what is that verse? Ekaki na ramade. With one, you cannot love. It takes two to tango. That's another way of saying it. <laughs> this is from the Upanishads. You can see this universal... The accepted statement is probably something like that in every language. Um, so, so for the Godhead, uh, this idea is the one becomes many. Hmm? For love. Hmm? Now when the, ma- the thing goes, goes all the way back to Krishna, one becomes many, one, um, the one becomes two. As Radha and Krishna. Radha, Krishna, Pranay. Krishna. Radha is the transformation of Krishna's love. So, the two. And then, if you take now the form of, of the Mahavishnu, the presiding over the world, this form of Krishna, then that one becomes two or many, in the form of so many jivas. Lokavatu Lilakaivalyam, the sutra says. Why? Because love requires more than one. For his own pleasure, in other words. Out of joy, hmm? the one becomes many. Now the many become are small, and so there's a problem problem that arises in relation to material nature, hmm? and they become bewildered. By so then he, he condescends as the savior in so many different forms, and so forth. Hmm? And so his proximity, if you will, to the world that. Um, uh, in which there's suffering is much greater than Krishna, who is absorbed in Leela. Hmm? And so he's more readily compassionate. Therefore, for example, in Chaitanya Leela, we have Advaita Charya, who is the manifestation of the Mahavishnu in Gaur Leela, and he's an ocean of, of compassion for the jivas, calling on Krishna to come and, and remedy the situation in the Kali Yuga, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, to say that Krishna is not compassionate is, is not the whole picture, but it's to say that there are different manifestations of Krishna. Krishna is the fountainhead, if you will, of all the forms of Godhead, and we we make we come to that conclusion by objective analysis. We find in Krishna hmm, more loving capacity than we find in any other manifestation of the Godhead. Hmm? We find in the Buddha, the wisdom we find in the Christ sacrificing. Hmm. Um, but if we study Krishna carefully, we see it's like, like the heart 
the romantic heart of the Absolute. So all possibilities of love are found there in relation to this manifestation of divinity. Or to do it another way, we, to take it away out of, out of a sectarian you know, appearance, we say that which is the center, and by that we mean that which can take all the love we can give and distribute it back to us, like the stomach can. I've often given the example, if you take food, you put it in your ear, you keep it in your hand, then you put it on the tongue. Unless it gets swallowed and put into the stomach, none of those other parts of the body have the capacity to distribute the food to every other part of the body like the stomach does. Hmm? Each part is engaged in serving the stomach. If they decide to rebel, they'll be finished. Hmm? You understand? So it's, it's in their interest to serve the center because of the nature of the center. The nature of the center is it's different than the circumference. It sustains it. It supports the whole circumference. Take out the center and everything collapses. Hmm? So when we feed the center, the center must have the capacity to do the work of the center. While it, in appearance, it is a taker, hmm? we look carefully, we see it's actually serving the whole. Hmm? By distributing the, the, what, what, what's given in a way that no other part can. Hmm? You can't water the, nourish the tree by watering the leaves and the flowers and every branch that be poured on the roots and the whole tree will be nourished. So we, 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 we are saying that, that there should be a center. Hmm? We're saying that life is about love and there should be a place where, or an object, hmm, in which we can repose our love, hmm, our giving and our serving capacity that will do the greatest good. And indeed, that's what everybody looks for. If people come to the conclusion, the wise conclusion, that giving is receiving, that life proceeds by giving, hmm? it, it progresses, it grows by giving, which is looks backwards. Looks like if you give, you it ends with less. But the subtle uh, but profound experience in, in giving is that we feel better, we feel more complete, we feel more, more whole. And people can see it in us also, right? They can see, he seems like a better person, has more. <laughs> um, so, so if, you, if you, and again, these are not, this is not book knowledge. I mean, it's said in common English parlance, to, to give is to receive. And again, that's another thing, it's probably something said like that in every language. What do they say in Polish? What do they say in Britain? I guess it's the same as America. Is that the Queen, what does the Queen's English say? Anyway, you understand my point? Hmm? Queen to the taker, she knows. <laughs> so, so anyway, it's it's a, it's a, these are universal concepts, not some new thing. We're just playing out the ramifications, the implication implications of them. Hmm? So we're all, if we're living progressively hmm, and growing, we're all looking where to give hmm? that we can that our giving will be most effective. And so we're saying that there is there is a center that upon giving to, hmm, there's a challenge that the center presents a challenge 
As much as you give, I can reciprocate. As much as you give, I can... This is the challenge that Krishna gives in the Gita. He says, So anyway, take it out of a sectarian concept or context. We're saying, everyone's looking for us for that place by which giving... Hmm? My giving will have the greatest effect amongst those who have figured out that giving is the way to go. Hmm? By giving, you live. People, many people think by taking, we live, and of course that. Hmm? Because when you take, you owe. Hmm? And that's what we call the, you know, the, the principle of karma. You take, so you owe. So have you have not grown. There's an appearance of growth when you take, but the fine print says you owe, you know, plus interest. Hmm. So many people obviously are taking, but some people are figuring out that, that, that you should give, and these are not like this isn't rocket science. This is this is you know, this is as I say, their statement that everybody's heard: giving is the receiving. How to figure that out, to play that out, and this is what we're doing here. Hmm? So we say there is a center. We say that we say that everybody, those who are living progressively and growing by giving, are looking for that center. They, they want to give, and so they'll think, "Where will I give? Hmm? Will I put money in the hat for the homeless man, or will I give to change the political system, or will I give to, you know, for this or for that?" And you, you go up the scale, and you want to make change that will be more uh, have a larger effect, and so forth. This is what I mean by saying everyone's looking how to give in the way that their giving will have the greatest effect. Mm-hmm. So we're saying there is a place, mm-hmm. there is an object in which you can give, and, that, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's known by the fact that it can give back mm-hmm. um, in a way that everyone will benefit. And this is what we mean by Krishna. So call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. in other words. Mm-hmm. People are looking for such. We say that it exists. We name it Krishna, and mystics have described it appearance, the appearance like this, and so on and so forth. Hmm? But if you have trouble with that, anyway, that's not a problem. Hmm? Come along with us anyway. You are along with us if you're a giver, looking for where to give most comprehensively. Hmm? And we can show you that by giving here, hmm, you will get in a way that you've never gotten before. Hmm? And you will have something to give that you never had to give before. Also, you'll have something to share. You'll have an experience that is, well, we call it ecstasy, which means it transcends. Ecstasy, I believe, literally means that which is beyond the senses. Hmm. An experience beyond the limits of the mind and the senses, which is where you, where, where you are. Hmm. Beyond the mind, beyond the senses. You have a mind, you have a senses, you have a body, and so on. And you can know yourself. And so... And you should give yourself, not just what you have, but yourself. So, um, so when we do that, this is the art, if you will, of yoga, hmm. learning how to give. So when we do that appropriately, we get the kind of reciprocation that really validates for us, by personal practical experience, the adage that giving is the receiving. Hmm. And of course, uh, and so uh, we have some some confidence, we validated it, we're experiencing it, we're receiving in a way that we could never have, we've never experienced before. Hmm. 
And of course, theologically, we, we play this out to the point where Krishna himself, is, the sender himself is saying, the giving. <laughs> it's better to be, on the, be, giving, be giving, giving than be the center even. Hmm? So Krishna wants to become, to taste Radha's experience, that is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. These are all very down-to-earth ideas in one sense. Hmm? You, you play them out. Hmm? So, so Krishna is the fountainhead of all forms of divinity and to say that Krishna is not compassionate it really would be better said that the, 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 the fountainhead is not as preoccupied with the compassionate love as other manifestations of himself are and then of course we come to the to the point that the compassionate love, which would seem like the highest form of love in this world, compared to like just loving your girlfriend or loving your kids or loving your your country to love every being and and have compassion for all like the like the Dalai Lama will speak about and so forth. This will be thought of as the highest form of love in this world because it's not provincial, it's not it, it's it's universal, it's it, it should, I don't know if it does in his book, it should include animals and all sentient beings, as they say. Um, so um, it looms rather large from this side, but when we go and we look at love, then um, we find in Krishna all the forms of love, uh, loving dealings are present. And compassion is a kind of love that you can share with someone who is kind of uh, less well off than you are, who's a needy. Hmm. So, how can we show compassion to God? He's not needy, hmm. in one sense, right? Mother Yashoda does a little bit. Hmm. That's called Batsali Rasa. Hmm. Uh, that's far beyond the compassion of the world. Hmm. Compassion is not a Rasa. Hmm. Uh, Karunya, it's a kind of like that, but it's 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 uh, in relation to Krishna hmm? and and beyond. So all types of love are there in Krishna, hmm? and we can we can express that kind of love for divinity. We can't really start to be compassionate for God. I mean, only in the context of Leela and Rasa, when you become uh, like Madhya Shoda, the, the superior to Krishna, then you can. Empathized to some extent, uh, and so forth. So, my point is that the, the compassionate love of this world for other beings is beautiful and, and wonderful, and, and and all. But it 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 it, it is transcended, so to speak, by the Rasananda of Krishna Lila, and he's absorbed there in that realm. So, in that particular form of himself, then he's not involved with it. He never leaves the brudge. This is the statement about Krishna. Hmm? It's famous Gaudiya statement, what is that verse? Um, it comes from Sanat Kumar Samhita, I believe, originally. Anyway, Krishna never steps in Padagachati. Uh, Padagachati never steps a, f- a foot outside of Vrindavan. Hmm? So in the Leela, he appears to leave Vrindavan and go to Mathura and Dwarka, but those are 
other manifestations of himself corresponding with other types of love. Hmm? Meanwhile, he stays in Vrindavan, invisible. He can't leave there. Krishna is more present in Vrindavan hmm, in his apparent absence than he is in Dwarka in his apparent presence. Do you follow? Why? Because the love of Vrindavan is more intense than the love of Dwarka. And wherever there's love of Krishna, Krishna is there. Hmm. That's where he's to be found. So he's invisible, but that's that's only causing the love to as separation it said makes the heart grow fonder. Another sutra for us. Hmm? So we're just playing that out again. So there it is in Vrindavan, he's more present in his apparent absence than he is in other places where he's present because the love of the Vrindavasis is is so ex- extraordinary. It's called Prema Madhurya. Hmm? Very extraordinary kind of, of, of love. So, he never leaves Vrindavan. Hmm? He can't, you see, because Krishna Akarshani, this is one of the characteristics of Prem Bhakti, it, it captures Krishna. He's completely, that's what Krishna means, who's Dhamodar, who's bound up by the ropes of love hmm? of his devotees. He's, he's, he's totally, that, see, that's what Krishna means. He, you see, Krishna as a friend, Krishna as the son, Krishna as a lover means, I'm here, you do what you want with me. I'm your friend, I'm in your hands. Hmm? I'm your son, I'm your lover. I, it means God has been conquered by love, captured, overwhelmed. So, meanwhile, somebody down here has got a cold, you know, whatever, is suffering <laughs> in some way or another. You know, it's like not going to attract his attention to it too readily, given, given, you know, what he's... So in that sense, he's not the best God, deity for, for compassion, but that's a limited way of talking about it. Hmm? When all the different manifestations are partial manifestations of himself, hmm, on the one side... And then the devotees are a particular manifestation of his mercy to the extent that they're referred to as the Kripa Shakti. The devotees are the manifest um, mercy potency of the God. And that's what they do, isn't it? You see, everywhere they're so kind, they show compassion, they canvass amongst the people, they, they, they embrace difficulties for the sake of others. They have no paradukha dukhi kripambudhi. They have no suffering for themselves, but they feel pain for the suffering of others. This is their characteristic. And of course, this is one of the reasons why they're so dear to Krishna, also. So, it's unto itself, it's a little, a little shocking statement. Krishna is not the best deity for, for compassion. There's truth to that. Mahavishnu is better, the devotees are better. Hmm. But that's where his compassion, his compassion has been focused. Hmm. Meanwhile, Radharani is his compassionate nature and she's got him wrapped up. Oh. You understand? That's the idea. Now, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, is Krishna. 
but he's also referred to as the Mahabodhanaya avatar. So he's a very unique form of Krishna, right? Because he's Krishna, the same Brajendananda Krishna, but he's here in the role of the Yuga avatar at the same time, which is to deliver the people. Because Krishna's got deliver what people? Deliver me, he's thinking. Does Radharani love me? Subal? Help me out. So, (laughs) this is Krishna. But as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that same Krishna is in the role of the Yuga avatar, so he's um, showing compassion. Of course, he's said to be Mahabodhanaya, but they're the most magnanimous, in a sense, compassionate, uh, generous form of the Godhead, because as the Yuga avatar, which would be a manifestation of Mahavishnu, showing compassion to others, delivering them to Vaikuntha, and so on and so forth. It's said that the desire, and I've brought it up before, arises in in in, in Narayan, in Vaikuntha, that there everyone has this four kinds of liberation, Sarupya, Sarasti, Samipya, and he feels, I want to bestow this upon someone. There's no one to bestow it on. Everybody's got it. So there needs to be another world. So he thinks that a feeling comes. God is such a sankalpa. He has a feeling, and it happens. So I want to bestow this on someone. So there's a world, and they're jivas. Mahavishnu appears, the jivas, the world appears. It's not an event in time, but I mean, it works like this. And so here we are. There's a place for showing compassion. He wants to bestow that upon them. So um, the Yuga avatar is a form of Narayan coming through the Mahavishnu, delivering the people. So this is one side to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu where he's delivering the people, but he's considered to be the most extraordinary manifestation of magnanimity, generosity, and we could say compassion, in that he's delivering them in no, as I've said, uncertain terms. What kind of deliverance? He's delivering not them from the material world, but he's delivering to them Brain Bhakti, hmm? which far exceeds the excellence of, of Vaikuntha. Hmm? So he's giving, and he, who is he giving it to? Anybody. If you give the highest thing to the most qualified people, that makes some sense, but if you give the highest thing to the most unqualified people, that doesn't make any sense, or that, we just call that, that's just mercy, madness. Hmm? So he's overriding the justice, practically speaking. People complain about Amani Karma, we said, talk to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's ending the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Hmm. So, this is a recipe then for the most magnanimous, again, the highest thing to the least qualified people. And that highest thing is Krishna Prema Pradayate. And in the context of that, Radha's Prem is giving that a opportunity to everybody. He's serving out the whole meal of the Braj Leela. And we'll come and take from that up to Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya, and Madanakya, Mahabhav. If that's your... reality, if reality are by that, by Krishna's arrangement, Guru Parampara. But um, in this way we can look at 
that same statement. Krishna is not the best deity for compassion. Well, Krishna and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is, there we find both. <coughs> both. And he is giving the Mahamantra. The Mahamantra is called Taraka Brahmanam, the, the spiritual name, Brahmanam, for Taraka. Taraka means deliverance. But we, it's thought that that's the general idea of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Given in the Kali Santarana Upanishad, where it said that in Kali Yuga people will be delivered by chanting the names. And Nara says, which names? And Brahma says, these 16 names. Iti Sodasakam Namnam Kali Kalmashanashanam. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. But this is thought to be the mantra of deliverance for all the Kali Yugas, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu doesn't come in every Kali Yuga, not Krishna, the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he is giving Parakanam. Tarakanam, Taraka Brahmanam, Paraka. Paraka means different, it means not deliverance, but like it has, it implies samartha. Samartharati means it is, it is it is a name and a conception behind the name. Raghunathas Goswami praises his his guru. He says, Nama Shrestam Apisachiputram. My guru has given me Nama Shrestam Apisachiputram, the highest conception of the name that was distributed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the different conceptions behind the name. Hmm? My bodies will also chant for their purposes. People will chant for deliverance. But Mahaprabhu's chanting is is, is different. Hmm. And so we come in touch with that. Hmm. He's he's he he's trying to understand Radha's love through this mantra. That's this Hare Krishna mantra that mantra is about. Radha's love for Krishna. He's trying to understand that experience that, so that's coming. So who you get the name from? What's in the name? What is the conception behind that? That's why we don't enter into any kirtan. What's the conception that is, that, that, that is behind the kirtan? I mean, it means any kirtan of Krishna Nam even. What is big of any kirtan? Of, of any, they chant all kinds of things nowadays. So, well, we want the name, the conception behind the name given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Kirtan, under the auspices of Shuddha Bhakti, Uttam Bhakti. Hmm? Not mixed bhakti for some lesser ideal and so forth. Hmm? This is the gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in him we find, we find there's, there's he is fine Bhagwan. And somehow he's he's completely wrapped up in the other world. But he had to come here to, to, be, to go there, so to speak, to take her position. Hmm? And there had to be another Leela, in other words. Hmm? And so in his madness, it's overflowing into the world. And so compassion is there, therefore he's the perfect deity for Kali Yuga. Hmm? And he's there, his name is there in Hare Krishna Mantra, as much as it is about the union of Radha and Krishna. Because Krishna is one, he becomes two as Radha, the two become one as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Radha, Krishna, Pranai, Vukadir, Ladini, Shantarasmat, Ekatmano, Vapi, Puri, 
Puradeham Vedogatoto Chaitanya Kyam Prakatam Madhanata Dvayam Chaikya Mahaptam Radha Bhava Duti Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Swarupam Again the two become one, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Shri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahyanya. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined. Hmm. That's a good deity for compassion. <laughs> Krishna alone, no, no, not so much. What else? Um, along somewhat similar lines, we've often uh, referred to Srila Prabhupada's assertion in Krishna's book that Krishna alone, not so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But when he's with Radharani, then he's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. Well, yeah, the idea is that um, it's kind of a a um, way of speaking because Krishna's not alone, and it, it, it because Krishna is that person standing next to Radharani. That's why I'm Bhagawan. But it's a, what Prabhupada is saying is more or less that. God unto himself is not very beautiful, but God imbued like Brahman unto itself, the absolute, is not very becoming. But when, when, with, with the, with, when there's bhakti, then there's then there's beauty because that brings variety. Like I've often said, Brahman is everywhere, so how can it move? But Krishna is moving. So how is he moving? Because of bhakti. Mm-hmm. What is bhakti? Bhakti is Radha. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, she's bhakti Devi. She presides over bhakti. So, where there is bhakti, where there is Radha, there is Krishna. And there we find the Absolute is very beautiful and very charming. Mm-hmm. There we find variety with the spice of life, for example. Movement, lila, love. Love is active. It's a verb, right? To love. So it's active. To be, I guess that's a verb, but it's kind of like a still one. (laughs) So that's kind of the idea. I mean, you could separate it out and say, some yogis, they just meditate on Krishna without Radha. So they may experience him as giving them, in the Gyanudra, giving the blessing, something like this, but that's not very charming. Compared to Krishna, who says that I'm a student in the dancing school of Radha's love, you know, learning from her. Mm. So this is sweet, very charming. So when, much as Krishna is next to Radha, mm, the Vrindavan Krishna, much as the Absolute is sweet and charming and beautiful, mm, as much as we find Krishna outside of Vrindavan, less charming, less beautiful. Like even on even on Kurukshetra. You know, speaking the Bhagavad Gita, he's less charming there. Mm. He's he's speaking with words of wisdom. Let it be, he says. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's he's 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 not as charming as he is playing his flute and and uh, and 
and even there he shows himself to be God and Arjuna is overwhelmed and, and so on and so forth. He's a statesman and uh, and meanwhile in Vrindavan he's stealing butter and yogurt and wrestling with his friends and losing and and uh, searching for Radha's love and so forth. So this is Vrindavan. Vrindavan is, is, is the kingdom of Radha. She's the queen. Vrindavaneshwari. Hmm? Brinda Vipineshi, Vipineshi, Damodarati, Vardhanaveshi, Harini Skuta, Brinda Vipineshi, Harini Skuta. Harini Skuta means like, Niskuta means like a hollow of a tree or something like that, or like a little private place in the forest. Hari's got his place, but it's a place in Harini Skuta, Brinda Vipineshi. Brinda Vipina, Isha, means Brindaban Ishwari. This is the name of Radha. He's got a place in her kingdom. The whole of Brinda, Brindaban is her kingdom. <laughs> he has a little hollow inside of the tree there. Hmm? It's her place. What is her position? Hmm? So Krishna in Brindaban means Krishna next to Radharani. That is what Brindaban is all about. And there, outside of there, he's not very charming by comparison. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, he's he's beautiful anywhere, and he's profound, and and so on. But by comp- comparatively, this, in this in this position, in the Vrindavan Leela, there we find charm and beauty is is ruling. Hmm? He's not speaking Upanishadic wisdoms there. He's he's uh, apparently he's he's even going against the. The Shruti and the Smriti, it, it appears. In, in appearance, there's an appearance of that for Leela. So, that's very extraordinary and it's very, it, it's charming and beautiful. So, so Krishna, as much as he's separate from the love that Radharani embodies, that is bhakti, and there are different degrees of that, manifestations of that. And he becomes less and less charming by comparison. Of course, he's charming to those particular devotees. He's charming to the yogis who like him in a particular way and, and so on and so forth. But still, and he's not charming in the dictionary sense of the term. Right? He's not dear Lalita. Dear Lalita means charming, hmm. this kind of hero, hmm. charming, playful, and and, and, and and charmed, literally it means charmed by Radha, by his lover. The hero is charmed by the lover. Hmm. He's a big guy, but there he is, charmed by her love, controlled by her love. That's very... Extraordinary. This is the moment in, in, the, in the life of God that we worship, and that's how you know you get him when he's down. That's when he's most successful. The highest point is when he is, is which would be as with he would, we would think would be so far removed, is the point where he becomes most accessible. This is very theistic fine, fine theistic intelligence to 
come to this kind of conclusion. This is Sumedasa, it is said in Bhagavad. Those who worship Chaitanya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Kirtan, they have Sumedasa, special kind of theistic intelligence. Where does it come from? Bhakti Sangskar, Sukritivan, lifetimes of Sukriti, acquiring Bhakti Sangskar. Then they can understand this kind of thing. What a nice point. We would think the highest point of the Godhead would be so distant and inaccessible. Hmm? But if we play it out, understand the highest point is yeah, he becomes most accessible. He's needy at that point. Therefore, if you chant Hare in his ear, then hmm, he get, get all his attention. Hmm? The value of a thing is dependent upon circumstance that water is, you know, you want some water? No. Okay. But if I'm in the desert and you bring me water, then, oh my God, you brought me water. Life, you saved my life. How much I'll appreciate. Hmm? So, in the Vrindavan Lila, then Krishna is somewhat uh, needy. The cowherds, especially a certain group, and, and, and milkmaidens, they're all tendering to this his needs, the need of, uh, for the union of, of Radha and Krishna. So, and we can find that point. I mean, God is a man who has everything. So, what can I give him? We say, well, he has Krishna has everything, but except for one thing, his heart has been stolen by Radha. So we can give him ours. That's all. He'll take it. <laughs> So these are very uh, insightful theistic notions that we find are central to, to Gaudi Vaishnavism. And if we look at them carefully, we see, oh, they, they're not just like some book thing. It has, makes very much sense to us. Hmm? And it's true also, in the man who has everything is the most needy. Hmm? Who has everything is the most needy. That's not as beautiful, but, but it's true. <laughs> Who has everything, has nothing. Hmm. And, and, has, and, and he has no one, he has no one he can trust. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants something from him. Uh, I know some rich people, I've known them, and, and they, they're always... Anybody gets in touch with them, they're immediately suspicious. Why this guy wrote me an email? Why this guy wrote me a letter? Why this guy's coming to see me? Very unpleasant. So it's a weak condition. And Christian Lila is, is different. It's beautiful in the, in the way I'm speaking about it. But to play it out in human society, it has some correspondence. Hmm. Man who has everything is most needy. <laughs> hmm. Surrounded by people who want something. How terrible. How uncomfortable. <laughs> the difference, of course, in Krishna is they don't want anything. They only want to please Krishna. <clears throat> but, of course, he sees that, and that's bewildering to him. So he wants to taste it. That, again, is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What else? 
Yes. Um, I was reading through the Sri Ramaraja's commentary on the Brahma Gayatri. I said in there that that mantra is not this one and the same as Sri Bhagavatam. So I was just wondering why the Gayatri mantra is retired at some point, if they're one and the same with the conclusion of the Bhagavatam. Um. We say it's retired in the sense that it recedes to the background and the service that it draws out comes to the fore. In other words, what it's playing out in mantra form takes a shape. In that sense, it's retired. So you chant the Gayatri, for example, or your Diksha Mantra, and then when it, 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 its efficacy is reached, it takes the form of service. And so the chanting is retired, but the, the, but the form of service that it contains, that you've drawn out from it, is it, it continues on, if you will, in that form. So it's 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 like um, like you get a password, you know, let's say. And so you get the password and you put it in right and and it, then you get in, then the password kinda of goes to the background and then the whole world is you're in the computer and maybe that's not the best example, but something like that. Hmm. It comes in a in a partic- in that particular shape now. It's retired, but all that it's about is now manifest. And in one sense, the same is true for the name to some extent. It retires to the background also and takes the form of service, but at the same time, in the context of Leela, there is chanting Krishna, Krishna, Mahavahu, and Gopis will chant. They'll sing Krishna's name. In that sense, it's, it's also present, the chanting itself. Hmm. Where they're not, they're not chanting Gayatri or Diksha Mantra there, but the the form of service hmm. and and love that's contained in the mantra that will come out. So it's there. You understand? It's like the mantras become a person. So then how you deal with the person is one thing, how you deal with the mantra, the person in the form of a mantra is another thing. Let's say you get a genie in a bottle, so you, you rub it like this, but once he comes out, well, it's another thing. <laughs> then ask, your desires will be fulfilled, something like that. Does that help? That's the idea. The Bhagavatam is thought to be a commentary on, on the, uh, on the Gayatri. So you can get lost in the commentary. And the verse, people want people. I don't want to read the commentary. I want to read the verse. No, read the commentary. You understand the commentary is more than the verse. You understand people have this backwards idea sometimes. Just let me read the verse, and I'm going to read the commentary. And the commentary is bringing out all the implications of the verse. 
So, in one sense, the verse gets recedes. It, it looms large at first. It's in dark print, bold print. Hmm. <laughs> then you notice it. You read it, and then you go to the the commentary, and you know. Then it, it fades to the background, and oh, so many things that were there that you didn't know or found, and so hmm. something like that. Another question? Yes. Yes. Um, so, throughout the day, day to day, or week to week, I feel um, your brain is kind of confronted with many different signals that are sending and receiving different ideas, thoughts. Um, you know, it can go from your basic needs of, oh, I need food in my body, or I need clothing, um, go to desires as far as, you know, I desire this, I want that. I feel as if we also receive certain signals that are more, um, something larger than just our base personal wants or needs that are more of a supreme, kind of a universal desire or need. Mm-hmm. And what are some kind of ways that is to distinguish when we are feeling a signal of something that is more supreme than maybe just simply something for the self in the, the personal versus universal form? Well, I think that um, that um, in in one sense these two can be distinguished by the two words how and why. How and why. Why implies a quality, hmm? meaning, value, purpose. Why? And then how is like, okay, we connect a couple things together and we make it work. So how do I eat? How do I sleep? How do I protect myself? Hmm. How do I find a partner? Hmm? Yeah, so I can feel whole. These how questions, there are also questions that arise in the animal world. Hmm? But the why question is unique to human, human society because consciousness is coming to the fore and we're self-conscious. Like the trees, they're, or the plants or the animals, they're conscious of pain and pleasure, but they're not as self-conscious that I'm a person. I've got a purpose, or I feel I've got a purpose. The feeling that we have a purpose that's bigger, that's larger, that's meaningful, that's beyond the how, hmm, is the feeling of, that we're getting of what we are that's now coming out in human life. That we're, we're consciousness, not what matter. We're a soul, not the body. Hmm? That's far out. Hmm? And so you get glimpses of that. Hmm? But to paint it with a very broad brush as an answer to your question... You could look at the difference between how and why, and why meaning. See, consciousness gives meaning to things. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because let's say, you know, what is this? Well, it's plastic. I mean, it's rubber. It's, you know, it's matter, right? What makes it matter? You understand what I'm saying? Does matter matter? Not unless somebody matters about it. And what's that? What's doing the mattering? It's not matter. This drum isn't thinking about itself. Consciousness is. Do you understand? We are consciousness. And that's starting to... We're experiencing that to some extent in human life, so we feel what you're feeling. Like there's these 
signals, I gotta do this, need to do that. But there's these other signals kinda of like, why am I? What should I do with no, what was the meaning of life? What's the you know, it might come out in different ways, but that's basically what you're talking about. What's happening there is that you're it's called we call it an existential crisis. Hmm? You're 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 in crisis. What am I? Why do I exist? And what you're experiencing is a little bit of the mystery of yourself, which is not matter. But all these how questions are mixed up with matter. They seem to be the important things, but if I don't get food, then what? You know, and but but still, I could have all those how things, and I could still feel incomplete because there's a why question, the quality of life, meaning, value, purpose. I'm a unit of meaning. I'm a unit of value. I give value. You give value. Consciousness gives value to matter. As I often say, if matter mattered independently of consciousness, who would know about it? You understand? Consciousness is the knower. Hmm? We are we are consciousness, not matter. But we're mixed up with matter, so we think I'm a body, I'm an American, I'm a male, and we've got all these how questions. But we can come out of all of that Hmm? by pursuing those signals, hmm? right? That 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 we should be that there's something more. Huh? So, what happens is, as as those questions become more, if they do, more prominent in our, in our life, then we have to find we have to find answers to them. Hmm? And so that's what this is for. Hmm? This is to answer those. And help us to sort out hmm, one from the other and, and give the proper balance. More inquiry into the why and the pursuit of the meaning makes the how questions easy to answer. Hmm. The more we pursue the meaning, the unit of meaning that we are, that we are more than what meets the eye and the mind, the more you're looking for, it's you. You're more than matter. We're looking in matter for more, but it's not there. It's us. You understand? Hmm? We're the more. That's like far out, but how do I see that? How do I, where am I? How do I? So that's what yoga and spiritual life are about, to sort out this why from the how and give a proper balance in our human life where the greater balance of our time is spent on the why and honing the fact that I'm a unit of meaning and value I don't get value and meaning from matter. I give meaning and value to matter, and I can take it away from it as well. It has no meaning unto itself. I'm the meaning. The driver's the meaning. gives meaning to the car. <laughs> Otherwise, it has no meaning. It's not a car. It's, it may, all the parts may be there, but without a driver. Yeah. Right? Suddenly, the parts become something else. Right? It becomes a car. Hmm? Because of the driver, so we were trying to separate out the driver from the car here, and they were trying to separate out those, those very two things that you're talking about. You're asking how to do that. That's what we're doing here. That's what we, we, we talk about, and that's why we have certain spiritual discipline and practice so that we give a, enough time for pursuing the why, hmm? sitting, contemplating, chanting, hmm? get a foundation like that in your day. Then you move through life, and you we, more you have that spiritual foundation good teacher, association with other like-minded people where you get strength from and so forth in a spiritual life, the more then you can sort out the how from the why and know, you know, not get lost in the 
in how questions that aren't going to really fulfill you. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah, 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 something like that. Okay. So, all right, we'll stop there. Siman Gaunitananda Prabhu's Gijai. Or Bhaktarinda Gijai. Gijai. Oh, Prima.